Welcome to Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. Together, we're learning how. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. I'm joined by Manda Scott. Manda is a veterinarian, an author, a shamanic teacher, and a climate crisis activist. I've been thinking a lot about language and the role that it plays in behavior change. That was the launching point for an afternoon's conversation. Manda started us off with an unexpected discussion of oxytocin and the role that it plays in creating strong feelings of tribal loyalty. All of this is relevant to the discussion of climate change. Yes, we can learn better management practices for the land that we care for. We can look at sustainable agricultural practices. We can make choices on a personal level that increase biodiversity in our fields and hedgerows. But somehow, that doesn't feel like enough. Not when we're entering such a politically charged year. The choices we're going to be making really will make a difference. But I don't want to turn this podcast into a political diatribe. I don't want it to become an us-versus-them rant. That gets us nowhere. So in part one of this conversation, Manda shared with us the relationship that oxytocin appears to have in strengthening bonds within a community. We may think we're making a rational reason choice when we select a candidate to support, but are we? If we want to move beyond the divisive tribalism of the current political system, what does that even look like? In the middle of our conversation, it was hard to imagine a way out. How can we make any difference at all in this so charged and what often feels like a very negative experience as we move into the presidential elections? I don't really want to be the ostrich that hides his head in the sand. That doesn't feel like the right way to to head, you know, to just ignore it totally and go play with my horses. It seems as though we need to be doing something more other. There's there's just so much at stake when we start looking at climate change. So being the ostrich with his head in the sand isn't the answer, but neither Mando nor I really have a good, this is the way forward. So midway through, the conversation was feeling, oh, this, this, does, this feels hopeless. And then Manda started talking about the scale of the intrinsic versus the extrinsic values, and we came to a hopeful place. So we ended with this question, what does it take to really trigger everybody's intrinsic values so we can build a sense of community that includes the whole web of life on this planet. That's where we paused, and so now we're going to pick up again in the conversation. It's going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride. There'll be times when we're thinking, oh, no, we might as well just go hide in a hole somewhere. And then we keep moving on and, and, and finding those little glimmers of, yes, this is a way forward. This is something positive that we can do. So come join us in this exploration of what can we do 
that will make a difference. So I don't know, in election year, what is the best tactic? I genuinely don't know. And I think the more we explore it, the more interesting it'll get. But could we each, for for the sake of humanity and the sake of the rest of however long we have before the floodwaters rise, how strong a community could we build in our horse barns, in our neighbourhoods, in our families, in our work, wherever we meet people? What is it? What does it take to really trigger everybody's intrinsic values and build a sense of community. Does that, makes, that make sense? That makes sense. And that is that is the picture. So when we said earlier, you know, I can't even imagine, I can't picture the non-tribal, but that is the really a picture that's very clear and and feels doable. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I we had two people on our course who were Israeli, a husband and wife, really, really interesting people. He spent three months of the year in the Israeli army because that's what you have to do. And the other nine months he worked for a a Palestinian peace organization trying to stop the war. And he had grown up on a kibbutz and, and they've gone back and they're living on a kibbutz now. They've just had a baby daughter. And he said the kibbutzes that worked were the ones that ate together at least once a week. And the ones that failed were the ones where everybody ate separately. And as far as he could tell, he'd done quite, he was a super bright guy, he'd done a study. And, you know, there's lots of other variables, but that was the one constant thing. There's something about the sharing of preparing and eating that is very, very bonding. So for people who are clicker trainers and they're having trouble at the barn, the thing you could do would be to, to host a dinner at the barn for everyone who's there. Bring them all together, get people talking and and joining together and start to build community. that sense of community. And maybe that would yes. really work. I don't know this. You know, I'm, I'm thinking out loud, exploring ideas. But um, And if we if we look at the Lakoff frames, you know, he's talking about what, what frame do you want to open? Because uh, mm. even with somebody who on the surface can seem as though they are a world apart, that they are going to vote in completely the opposite way that you would vote, that you can't imagine how they could support fill in the blank. But particularly if it's, you know, if we're talking horse people, you start talking about, you know, oh, yeah, I love horses. And you've mm. got a frame that's opening up yeah. that you both share. And yeah. 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 And you know, that's the piece of what is the common ground? Well, the common ground, maybe we maybe we train completely differently. But, oh, we love the smell of yeah. horses. <laughs> you mm. know, yeah. we love the... Yeah. And that sense of yes. companionship. Yes. Yeah. And, and listening yeah. to a horse eating hay. Oh, what a heavenly sound. Well, <laughs> that... F- yeah, or the smell of foal Yes. Foal yes. Breath best smell in the world and that frame now begins to open and we're all within that frame we we can understand each other at that level and then yeah and you can become friends and the thing is your friends are part of your tribe and one of the things that i don't know i think you're probably finding in your side of the atlantic as we are here is that friendships are falling apart because people are on opposite sides of the brexit divide 
and and friendships are not surviving that. And we have to get back to rebuilding those friendships. And I'm guessing it's harder to be friends and particularly to be married to someone on the opposite side of the political divide in the US as well. I'm guessing that you're very right. That there are and there are huge discussions that you just don't have for fear mm, of yeah. creating those divisions. And yeah. and sometimes that's good not to you know, travel down that road that is going to um, split people apart. But we do need to find the ways of creating the community, of bringing, bringing us together, you know, at, at, at some level. I mean, horse people, I would think it would be fairly safe to say that horse people love being outdoors. Mm. Yeah, yeah your gate and we ride out into the countryside that there is a love of the planet on some level and yes yes Yes. and and um so i think it was also lakoff but it might have been somebody else who actually i think it's tom crompton who said that even in the extrinsic values there are those values of so people who we might consider it to be more in the Lakoff strict father model. They value tradition a lot. They value cleanliness and purity a lot. Um, and certainly I found here, I, I live in a village where I could name for you the households that did not vote Conservative and Brexit at the last election, and there are not many of us. But I've been trying to set up something I'm calling the 80% project, which is can we get 80% of local people sourcing 80% of their food from sustainable local producers? And I'm doing this because climate change, food miles, biodiversity. But if I say those words, they are trigger words for people not of my political leaning. But if I go around to them and say, we want to change the way that we're farming so that there are jobs for Mark's kids, the two young boys who desperately want to farm. And as things are at the moment, that's just not going to be possible because the land's too expensive and they won't be able to buy the kit. But if we were to farm in a way that was more like it used to be in the old days before all these newfangled machines, and we are creating, I also, I want food that is grown on fields that I can walk across and where I know what's gone onto it. I don't want to have to wash the poison off before I can safely eat the carrots. And that kind of framing of it I haven't had a single person who didn't go, oh, yeah, absolutely. So finding language that we share is really important. I I get a slightly stuck because it feels manipulative, but then I realize all language is manipulative. It's just you either understand how to use it or you don't. There's a really interesting guy called George Marshall who wrote a book called Don't Even Think About It. Don't even talk about it. And he embedded in the Deep South during the last election and went around and listened to everybody. And he is a climate change activist and he was trying to find way, why was it that, because if you went back to, let's say the 60s, it wasn't the case that the Republican Party was the party of destroying the environment and the Democrats were not. That in fact, possibly the other way around, but it was more like there were people who really valued the environment and people who didn't. And they were spread across the political spectrum. And why is it now that, you know, if Trump decides he wants to destroy an entire mountain range in Utah, the the Republican Party supports him all the way. Why why is that happening? And he found 
language. He, he interviewed a lot of people and he found the language that they used was this language of cleanliness and traditionality and freedom to roam and freedom to breathe clean air. And then he went up to Alberta and this was really interesting. He sat in the town hall. He didn't mention climate change at all. He invited people in and he said, what do you really value about being an Albertan? What makes you really proud to be here? And he collected all of the statements and it was along the lines of, we are proud Albertans. We make our living creating the energy for the whole of the rest of the world, which is to say Canada. And everyone depends on us. It's hard work, but we are strong and we are proud and we can do this and we give this energy to everybody else. And he listened to all of this for a couple of weeks and he reframed it as we are proud Albertans. We create the energy for the whole of the rest of the world, but we're all employed by exactly the same company. And if that company goes down, then we're going to go down with it. But we are a proud and strong people and we have the initiative and we could be creating as much energy from the sun and the wind and the water because we have all these resources in Alberta and we can we can create the power for the rest of the world. And it really resonated because he didn't go to them and go, look, you don't understand. You're destroying everything with the tar sands. It's really bad. You're polluting the world and you're creating a total crash in biodiversity and it's all horrible. He found what they valued and he was able to reframe it very slightly. I don't know that it's stopped the Athabascan tar sands, I have to say, but it's a step in the right direction. Yes, language matters and it It really really does. does. And finding that way of speaking in somebody's language to core values makes a, a huge difference rather because the other is just imposing. And that's why to talk about climate change, the words are wrong. You know, that, that we want to make a difference in the climate change crisis. The words are wrong. And clearly they're wrong mm. because it's so obvious that we should be what we should be doing, but we're not doing it. So yeah, we haven't framed it in a way that makes it easy to say, well, but of course we should be uh, shifting to renewable energy. Why would we do anything but? Yeah. Um, of course we should be changing yeah. some of our agricultural practices. Why would we be doing anything but? So the language, we're not there yet. No, and and we pro- and, and the question is, can we move fast enough? That woman whose podcast I sent to you, and I can't remember her name, I'm really sorry, but she was really interesting. She came on uh, Ed Miliband's podcast in the UK, and she was talking about the difference between passive and active voice. And so she said, for instance, in the last election, the Labour Party would be saying um, there's been a huge rise in the number of food banks. And she said, that's passive voice. It doesn't touch anybody. What you need to say instead is politicians X and Y have decided that four or 500 people in every town will not have enough mm. to eat. Um, or politicians X and Y have decided that 15,000 children will starve over Christmas. And I think if we were to reframe, for instance, fracking as politicians X and Y have decided it's okay to completely pollute your water system because they're making a profit out of it. That's a very different thing to 
you shouldn't be fracking your land. Yes. Uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it, we're back to, I, I, every time I, I see this and I think I can see ways where we could make make arguments more strongly and then I think, oh, well, we shouldn't be being tribal. Oh God. And then I think, but if we lose the next election, you know, we're bringing our bunch of flowers to to a bunch of guys who are just walking up with machetes. It's not going to be pretty. So, so I'm caught back in that. But I think I think the passive and active voice was a very interesting one, and learning to reframe even the conversations we are having in a different voice is very is very useful because there is an odd thing of Lakoff's two frames and the strict father frame is motivated by fear. And the nurturing parent frame at its best is motivated by compassion. And my absolute belief is that unless humanity can move to a point where we wake every morning filled with compassion for ourselves and the rest of creation, we are doomed. And that it has to be the way it is. But my lived experience and my view of history is that the people who woke up every morning afraid and reached for the biggest gun tend to be the ones who conquer the earth. Um, yeah, this is why I'm doing accidental gods, is to try and shift that entire energy. So, so if I put my accidental gods hat on, then it matters more than anything that we shift the energy. And we shift the energy by being different and then by holding conversations from that place of difference. But in the understanding that if we help to trigger other people's intrinsic values, if we speak with an active rather than a passive voice, if we learn to hear the language of what other people are saying and resonate with it, then maybe we can spread the compassion better. I think I there's... Doesn't, yeah. what, what that also makes me think about is the, the change of language within the clicker training community. So as we bring in the uh, applied behavioral analysts, they have helped us to reframe many of the ways that we talk about behavior. And they're not hmm. huge differences, but they're significant differences. Um, what would be an example? So uh, we might talk about an aggressive dog or a reactive horse. Well, mm. the dog yeah. is not aggressive. A defensive aggressive dog. The behavior yeah. is. You know, so the yes. dog, the, yes. the horse is a fearful horse. Well, not 24-7. Only under these yeah. conditions. No problem. So this behavior... Yeah we may see as um, fearful, but yeah. the animal is not, it's not aggressive 24 seven. It's aggressive under these conditions. So language. Yeah. So it's displaying aggressive behavior. It's not an right. intrinsically aggressive right. it's not, it's individual. It's not a yeah. bad child, a bad horse, a bad dog. Mm. It's just at this moment, under these conditions, it's exhibiting behavior that we don't like. and. These are can seem like subtle shifts of language, but they do matter and they change your focus. So I think a lot of this is really saying we need we need help questioning how we've been talking, how we've been framing current events. And 
Yeah, we need other things in our repertoire because that's something that's come out of the behavioural thing is the dog or the horse is displaying aggression because that's all it's got in its repertoire. If we could enlarge its repertoire, it might choose right. something different. And that's what we need. That is to and broaden our repertoire. we need to broaden repertoire. our repertoire in terms of how we talk about the issues that we're going to be facing. So over the next nine months, we're going to have a deluge of the same language. Now, I listened last night, I listened to the Democratic debate uh, for New Hampshire. And I haven't listened to all of the debates, but it seemed to me that I was listening to the same debate that I listened to in one of the previous ones. That there was the the language is all Mm. the same, the pushing against is all the same. The repertoire is really very small. And that's just an example. So what we need is we need to be exploring how do we expand our repertoire as we talk about these issues that really matter deeply to us. So you gave a great example uh, in terms of growing food locally. Well, if I hadn't thought about, well, one of the reasons that we'd like to grow food locally is so that people can stay on the land and their children can farm it, then that's not in my repertoire. But as those Mm. examples are given, as I hear them, then that expands my repertoire in terms of how I think about it, how I can talk about it. Yeah. And then we can begin to reach for people's values because it's very easy for everything to be framed in economic terms. And partly because we live in late stage capitalism, but we can begin to frame things in human terms of the quality of the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the freedoms that we enjoy to build communities that we love. And I think that I am remembering in Ireland, they had the two big referenda, the one on gay marriage and the one on abortion rights. And they were one in the face of really quite hard opposition, but they were won by people who just went door to door and held conversations of, you know, I've lived in this village all my life and I'm gay and you didn't know because it wasn't safe for me to say so, but I'm saying so now because this really matters. And, And I haven't done you any harm in the village for all this years. And And isn't it okay? I mean, really, could you look me in the eye and tell me why it's not okay for me to get married? And yeah, I think there was probably quite a black and white Lake Off model playing out there. But the human conversations that people were having led to a result that that most people are happy with. A very small minority are still very unhappy, but but most people, even those who didn't vote in the way that allowed gay marriage to happen, can see that actually it was okay. And that there was a process of them being consulted and everybody having a voice. And and so you're empowering people and giving them agency and allowing the conversations to happen. I think somewhere along the line, this is why we're really pushing for people's assemblies and citizens' assemblies here, because if they're held in the right way and if they're open and transparent, you can see the process that people go through where they're not simply leaping to the amygdaloid limbic 
tribal response, but they're beginning to see each other as human beings across the divides and have the conversations and reach consensus. And I, yeah, the point of politics at the moment is that it's anti-consensual, it's designed to maximize the divide. But if we can find ways within our communities of, of holding conversations, it's just very hard when you've got an election looming and everybody wants their, their own tribe to grow bigger and the other tribe to go smaller and suggesting, you know, we could, we could just talk about this and maybe reach a middle ground. It's hard, but I think it's necessary somewhere along the line. And it becomes even more necessary because in one sense, no matter who wins the national election, is that really going to change anything? It's yes, what we do <laughs> at, at the level of our local communities that's really going to make the biggest differences. Or at least that's where we can have the greatest impact. That's where we can have the agency. I yeah, I think one of the big stories that we are told periodically is that it doesn't matter who's in government because we have local agency. And I think what we're discovering with the current flavors of government that we have is that once in a while it really does matter. So I think you know, if I were in the States, I would be putting every iota of my energy into doing what you're doing and working out how can we have the conversations? Because there's a winning an election is about encouraging people to vote for your side and discouraging people from voting for the other side. And much as I hate the tribalism, I think it matters for the US and for the whole world who wins in November. Yes, I agree with you. Um, because a lot of a lot of international decisions, <coughs> sorry, are going to be made on the basis of that. Um, but then, then, you know, this is where we need to read Nancy McLeod because I will give you the gist of Nancy McLeod. Nancy McLeod is a professor of uh, history at uh, Virginia State, and her main area of interest is the the civil rights movement. And she was looking in particularly to why Virginia didn't have the riots, the race riots that maybe Alberta or some of the others had. But they did have segregation in schools until very late, I think the late 70s. And she discovered a number of things. Um, and in the process of working all this out, she discovered what was called an archive, but it was actually the office of the guy who had been the economist for the Koch brothers, oh, who, of yes. whom I am sure you are aware. Yeah. But for those who aren't aware, these are the guys who, they are they have more money than anybody ever needs. and. They, they are of the opinion, she has this in writing, that their form of capitalism is not compatible with democracy. Nobody will ever vote for the kind of capitalism they want because it's absolutely unfettered. There are no workers' rights. There are no environmental rights. There is nothing in the way of them making the most money they can possibly make. And they're, they're absolutely upfront that nobody would vote for this, but it is what they want. So they're they put together what was then a 50-year plan, but was accelerated massively when Obama got into office to use the legal structures of democracy to destroy it from within. And that was starting off with, you, you start at the low, you know, you get your guy in to be dog catcher. 
And then when you've got that, you get your guy in to be the next stage up. And then eventually you get to be mayor of the county. And then you change the voting rules a little bit and you shift a few things so that you make sure you've got the Congress and the Senate of your state. And then you can begin to look at government. And and you go for every layer of democracy and you go for all of the arms of you know, the army, the police, the education system, whatever. You get your people in and you change things slowly by slowly. And the one of the key aims is uh, what is it? A citizens' convention? No, um, I can't remember where they can change the constitution, a constitutional assembly, and it requires a certain number of states to vote for it. And there, when the book was written, they were three states shy of being able to convene a constitutional assembly, which they could completely change the constitution in their favour. And uh, if you read the book and you look at what's happening, then they're working their way through a very systematic plan. And we on the progressive side don't have any plan. It's one of the things that we just thought the world was becoming more progressive and all we had to do was be nice to everybody. And in my moments of, you know, looking at the Dalai Lama and realizing that he is the model for the world, I think that that's right. But in the meantime, our democracy is being destroyed from the inside. And so I think we need what Joanna Macy calls, you know, she's got the three pillars of the great turning and you need the shifting consciousness and you need the systems change, but you need the holding actions also. And the holding actions are, you know, just working with your local democracies so that it isn't being eroded from the inside, so that it's it's working for flourishing of people and planet and equity and sustainability and things that will give our grandchildren a life or you know, our friends' grandchildren for those of us with no kids. So um, it's, 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 we're back to that dichotomy of, of we're in a binary system and we need not to be binary. But if we're going to be in a binary system, it would be good if it wasn't a binary system that was endeavouring to become essentially a fascist state, which is you know where it can head. And yet, and yet, if we talk to the people who are not right at the that end of the other side of this divide, they are as afraid of similar stories being told on our side. And it's the stoking of fear that is keeping yes. us divided. So I've just stoked fear, my own fear, your fear, everybody's fear. And yet I know that the stoking of fear is is not where we need to be. And I, I just go around like a, a hamster on a wheel around these little circles of, I can see what's happening. I don't think it's good. And I believe that we need more compassion in the world and we need not to be tribal. But on the other hand, I would like our tribe to win. And it's hard. Yeah, maybe we'll get people writing in after this going, well, we're in the other tribe. Here's a way of crossing this divide. That would be great because I think there is a middle ground to be had. It's just not being offered at the moment. Well, we have to create it. Yeah, we do. And I, I think, again, the horses are such a good model for this because horses are large and they're quick and they can be extremely dangerous. And so a lot of handling of horses has always come from a place of fear and you have only to walk into mm. any tax store in the country to see the evidence of that mm -hmm. you know you see the the whips the yeah. bits the mechanical devices that are designed to take the power away from this powerful being and yet you know what we love about horses is their power 
their majesty, their you know their yeah. strength, their p- picture horses, and it's the that magnificent stallion that's uh, you know we love that, mm. and yet we fear it mm. and we want to control it and to change it, and so with the horse training, with the clicker training, what we are finding is a different path entirely, where it is about communication and it's about that focus that clear clear focus on what is it that we want together not what is it that i want at the expense of my horse but what is it that we Mm. want together and how can we achieve that together and set aside yeah put aside the uh techniques that are designed to create fear and put aside the Mm. I must crush this behavior because I don't like it and Mm. whatever is left is that sort of flat neutral but that's control I don't need any of that Mm. I just I don't need it I don't need to go there I don't need to look at it I don't need to push against it I just need to pivot and focus over here on what is it that we can do together. And, and maybe that's incredibly yeah. naive, but it's a model that certainly goes against the cultural norm within the horse world, but it's a model that creates amazing relationships with the horses. So if we can, yeah. we, and we have learned, we are learning how to do it. This is our practice ground. We're learning how to do it. And now it's time that we take some of these skills that we've learned and begin to say, all right, what is the relevancy? How do we apply them? We need to shift our language. Let's, let's really pay attention to the metaphors that we use, to the language that we use. That was, I think, another one of the things that Lakoff uh, highlighted was how these metaphors, the language structure, is embedded so early in our lives that we're not even aware of the connections. So we need to become aware. When we use certain phrases, what is it that that is evoking? And that's in part what the meditation is about, is to become more aware of these Mm. connections. So what is it that I'm truly saying with these words? What are the, what am I evoking with these words? And am I evoking a response in you that creates more connection and community? Or am I evoking more of a divide? Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the really interesting things about the Lakoff metaphors is that they're embodied. So we, so warm is good. And if we talk about, you know, regarding other people warmly, we can we can evoke warmth. But in exactly the same way, if I were to hand you my warm cup of coffee, you would feel more warmly towards me than if I handed you a cup of iced water. If if I appear to you to be clean and tidy and cleanliness matters to you and, and is or is not a trigger for something, then you will regard me more favorably. And I used to really kick off against that. So I will wear what the heck I want to wear and I do not care what you think, which is true up to a point. But 
But when people's responses are so deeply embedded and they're not under their conscious control, then it doesn't hurt me to look slightly cleaner and tidier than I might otherwise do if I'm going to go and talk to somebody for whom cleanliness is next to godliness is actually an intrinsic part of what they believe, even if they're not you know, religiously affiliated. It's still deeply embedded yes. in their sense of self. So so being being even aware that these physical metaphors make a difference, that, that weighty up to a point, if you hand someone a heavy book, they they assume it is of greater value and that what's written in it is is more academically important than if it's a light book. You know, all of these things, there's there's ways that we can engage with people that are so primal and and it doesn't hurt us at least to be aware of them, I suppose. I don't want, again, don't want to be manipulative, but I, I just find that sort of thing totally fascinating. Um, because because this is what shapes our world and we, we so often don't know them. And I think particularly, I don't know if you've watched Josh Fox's videos on, on fracking, um, Gasland was the first one. And the horror of the filth that fracking creates was one of the things that really struck me. And and, and the destruction of the air and the water and, and and what was really interesting was watching quite a lot of the people in the program who are going, you know, we're Republicans, this is not supposed to happen to us. And not knowing, not having a response because, because there was no avenue for them to go, this is unacceptable. You're, you're just, you know, I can't actually breathe anymore or my children are dying because the water is so poisoned. And helping them to find an avenue that doesn't feel like they've abandoned their tribe You'd think that would have been something that people could have been doing. It's, it's, I think nine months is not going to happen. It's something that could have been done 10 years ago and, and isn't because for whatever reason, you know, the hierarchy of, of political parties is a, is a bizarre thing that right. one will never understand if one is not part of it. But if we begin, if we begin, we can proceed. <sighs> Still begin. We just begin and we keep going. Yes. And and a big key yeah. to this, I think, to, you know, there is value that has come out of this conversation, uh, and particularly coming on the heels of the Lakoff work, that there's value in language, and that the real homework is looking at how we are talking about things, and is there another way, not necessarily a better way, but just how do I broaden out my mm. repertoire? in terms of talking about the things that matter to me. And and let me begin with small things. You know, it's always the, the clicker trainer in me wants to take small steps. So, you know, right? What what could be some, you know, something yeah. where um, it's it's not as huge as climate change, but I could I could practice that mm. skill of it's I don't even want to say reframing but of expanding how I talk mm. about or view uh, something that matters to me. Who could I practice on? Who could I find who maybe they're just a little bit not quite of the same political persuasion as myself, but is there some way that we could have a conversation around this topic that's... A, sits sort of in the middle neutral zone 
and just build mm. those skills because that's a beginning. That's something yeah. we can do. We have to build a community. Yeah. We have to talk to one another because yeah. otherwise we will be so yeah. tribal that we will split apart. And that's the most terrifying. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, I, something came around in my Facebook feed today, and it was about Nazi Germany, but it's, the point was that it applies today, which is we are discovering what it is to live in a world where one third of the population wishes to annihilate another third of the population, and the remaining third will stand back and watch them do it. And I think we're not that far off, and that does feel really quite disquieting, because people are people, and the annihilation wouldn't be happening if we saw the exactly. humanity in each other. And, and and cared for the rest of the the world. So finding ways to detoxify politics, I think is probably one of the most important things that we can do. And in an election year, it's probably hard, but whoever wins the election, there's four years till the next one. And maybe a movement built around better together or you know something like that. I suppose the One Nation guy is trying to go, you know, politics should not be about winning and losing. It might be really interesting to talk to him about how does he see this working? Because he, he didn't strike me as being stupid. And he, you know, this is the political process is what it is. But maybe we could create a movement that was, you know what, we reject your polarized politics. We're going to go for this middle ground. And there are and we can bring you all on board. Let's let's sit down and have a conversation because it's crazy. Whoever wins, half of the country has lost. And this is not wise. That's right. Right. And we only have one planet. We don't have two planets. Yeah, well, we quite. only have one planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Except Elon Musk thinks we're all going to Mars. But yeah, yeah. We only have one planet. But, but I know from speaking to the the members of my family that I fondly call the alt right is that they do not believe the planet is under threat. So that you and I know that, but that's not the first conversation to be had when we're trying to bring the when trying to detoxify right. politics. Sadly, it may be one that we get to because it may be something that one is open to when it's not considered a political stance. I had a really quite astonishing conversation with them recently because they were trying to tell me that Greta Thunberg was being run by other people. And I'm going, but it's her message, you know, who, whatever you think is motivating her to speak like this, surely the message. And they're going, well, no, she's just being manipulated for political reasons. I'm going, guys. What she's saying is there is no time left. That's not a political statement. And the, for them, it is. Which is one of those things that I find I have real trouble getting my head around. But I, you know, they're not making this up to confuse me. They're looking me in the eye and going, but that's just political. So we have to take that on board and, and find what can we find that is our common, yes. common space. It makes me wonder what, if any, shifts have occurred in Australia, given the uh, those horrific fires. Yeah, not as many as you would like to think. You know, can you can you have something like that occurring in your landscape, and not? Uh, and, and, yes, you can. You can. Hmm. Well, sadly, I mean, yes, because I have other friends who are Australian, and so the narrative is that the fires were caused by arson and that they were only able to take hold because the green movement had stopped the forestry from burning back the brush and that this was all wrong. And and if you talk to people involved in this, um, both of these are factually incorrect. 
you know, they hold, they are absolutely without any factual basis at all. But they're a narrative that gives people the ability to go, it was somebody else's problem. And actually, it was the problem of the evil people on the left. And it's got nothing to do with climate okay. change. So, and, and there are some quite, you know, this is, so I have two hats as well. I'm, I'm quite schizophrenic. There's the bit of me that really wants us all to be compassionate. And there's the bit that is highly tribally politicized. And the bit that's highly tribally politicized is quite in awe of the messaging skills of people who are very deliberately muddying the waters. And they do it very carefully and it's very clever. Over here, they put out something on social media to the effect that the people who had started Extinction Rebellion were being funded by the people who are funding 5G um, mobile phone signals. And, and over here, 5G is a real hot button topic because there is evidence that it's extremely dangerous and um, neurologically. That, and, and so it's become very divisive. There are those who believe that 5G should never happen and those who believe it's the God's gift to communication and they'll be able to play World of Warcraft a thousand times faster. So, hey, why would you not want it? Um, and so by saying that the guys at the top of XR were funded by the 5G people, they were able to massively undermine the credibility wow. of Extinction wow. Rebellion with the people who would have been its absolute natural supporters because those people are all anti-5G. And it's wholly without any merit at all. It's, it's totally made up. But it was very clever because if they said they were funded by the oil companies, everybody would go, no, they're not. Or if they said, I don't know, they're funded by the supermarkets, people have gone, yeah. well, okay. So what? But, but funded by 5G, whoa, that's bad and dangerous. And, and it, 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 you know, it's another of these things. It goes in at the level of the amygdala to 5G is bad, therefore they're bad. And, and it's gone beyond the capacity to think before you even know it's there. It's very, very clever. So and, it, and so exactly the same with the Australian bushfires. You know, it's arson and it's the green fault because they stopped the brush being cut back. Instantly in there. Okay, it's fine. We don't need to worry okay, about this. So, but there sits the key because what we're saying is that they are very skilled at using language to achieve their ends. And what I've never understood is why in the progressives world that they're not equally skilled. I mean, we have the evidence. Yeah. We've seen how this works. And we've seen the, yeah. the way uh, a well-chosen phrase can win you an yeah. election. And we're so incompetent at it. So, you know, we need to learn. I know, but we, but we are back to discussing things in tribal terms. However, I have a very interesting anecdote from not this election, but the 2017 election. So I had just written my thesis for my master's and I was right on top of all of the linguistics. And I wrote, I had a route in to quite high up in the Labour Party. And I said, okay, so the things that really trigger people are fear and disgust. I will design for you a set of adverts based around, also and ridicule. Ridicule is really useful. Fifty Shades of May. So we've all heard of Fifty Shades of Grey, I assume. Fifty Shades of May. And what you show is her being hauled along by Donald Trump. There were a couple of very good photographs of that. And they're walking through dog shit over and, and smearing it across the Union Jack. And I guarantee you that this will massively depress the vote for the Tories and increase your vote. And I got a really sweet email back from a guy very high up in the Labour 
campaign system and he goes, I'm really sorry. I think you're probably right, but I've just done too much therapy. I couldn't do that. <laughs> and, and you know, I think that was a, I think, you know, in, in so many ways, he's right. Because do you want to win an election where you've had to resort to those kind of tactics? But the other side is not having that conversation. They will resort to whatever tactics, you know, the, the smears against Jeremy Corbyn. And I'm sure if Sanders were to get the nomination, the smears against Sanders were, would have been laughable if it weren't that they were so cleverly crafted and they sank home with each bit of demographic that they were aimed at. You know, the rest of us are going, oh, you can't possibly believe that. But that particular demographic, totally, it was in there. It was at the same level as Gail Bradbrook's funded by 5G. It, it just goes straight in. Think, God, that was clever. And and yeah. and you know, we've just done too much therapy. Um, so, so I don't know how you get around that. I, I think because it's because you don't want it, to sink to there. the same level. No, you don't. Because and otherwise, this is back to Bannon, who's dead. You know, otherwise you might you are. Yeah, what, you know, what is the difference? Exactly. Um, yeah. And this is exactly the conversation Michael Moore had with Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon said, "There is nothing we will not do," and you have scruples. And you know, it's uh, it's true. Yes, <laughs> it just yes. is. So, and and you know, it's 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 hard. And I, you know, I'm sitting in a country where where the neo-fascists have an 86 seat majority for exactly this reason, and it's it's terrifying. So, I would like to believe that that's not going to happen in your country. But I would say, just if we're sticking with being wholly tribal for the moment, they know who their candidate is. They're already crafting their message. What and 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 we're watching the Democrat in a circular firing squad, and it, that needs not to be happening. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a crazy way of choosing a candidate. I mean, you, you can't stop it now, but it's it's insane, frankly. And somebody needs to get to the hierarchy of your Democratic Party and go stop playing games, and yes. you know, get get a grip. But I think the problem is that. The, the hierarchy is still funded by the same kind of people who are funding the other side. So that's also, you know, at least in, in Britain, the Labour Party wasn't because nobody was going to fund Corbyn, who, who was also going to fund the other side. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. And they, they want a candidate who's not going to rock the boat. And actually what you need is a candidate who's going to rock the boat a lot. But that's hard yes, to get. This is a separate conversation. <laughs> so we just, you know, we you have these little rays of hope and then it's all back to tribalism. Little ray of hope, back to yeah, tribalism. Yeah, that is it. It is. So Yeah, and we could take it, let's take it back to what we need. What we need as people is to be the compassion that the world needs. And I, I, I know that I'm schizophrenic. There's a bit of me that's highly tribal. And then the other bit that comes along and goes, you know, that's that's the old paradigm. You've got to be different. So I think if we were not having this conversation in with nine months to an election and the primary is already starting, we could be the bodhisattva of compassion and an understanding. And and there is quite a large part of me that thinks that that is actually what we have to do, but it probably won't win the election. If we accept that, then then we can just let go right. and relax and and go with how do I become the compassion that the world needs to see. What does that feel like? How do I en engender that 
and how do I help others around me and generate? And and then I stop worrying about politics and the world becomes a much more peaceful place. Yes, and I think that truly is the direction to be heading. That yeah, um, there will be, because be. there are enough people on the planet who can fill that other niche of being tribal and, and fighting in a tribal way for the candidates of their choice. What we need to do is fill this new niche. Yeah. 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 Create it. Create it. And and be it. Yes. Yes. It's what the shall we start the whole podcast again? Go back to the beginning, start again. I think (laughs) I because I think the process of getting here is an important process. It's the process again that the metaphor of the horses. It is the process that the horses have been taking us on. Um, you know, how do Mm. we how do we live with them in a way that that is not the violent control, but is the shared yeah. companionship? And we can do it. We absolutely can do it. And that is what mm. we yes, you've shown that, that is what we model. That is what we focus on. Yeah. That is what we do. And in the process, who knows, we may create, uh, some shifts that are quite wonderful and amazing that uh, contribute to an outcome in the fall that is is one that we can celebrate. Yeah. And even if it doesn't, you know, I, I've just come from a Zoom call of accidental gods. Systems change as systems change. And the old system is crumbling. And the only way you know, we've reached that point of maximal complexity and Prigogine says any system reaches its maximal complexity and then the timeline bifurcates and it either collapses into chaos and extinction or it emerges into a new system. And I think we are at that bifurcation of the timeline, whatever happens with the the politics, because politics is part of the old paradigm. And if we can be the change we need to see, Really, I've, I've shifted from my political fear stance into my, I understand that we have to become something different. We have to become the best that we can be in order that then together that best becomes something that creates a whole new system because we can't do it within the old structures. They're, it's just not going to happen because they are yes. the old structures. So I think being the best that we can be for all of us has to have an energetic impact whatever happens in November. And that's, that's worth right. working for. That's exactly right. It will have an ener- it will have an energetic impact. Has to. And that's what we live. Yeah, it does. You know, that is absolutely what we live. Yeah. Definitely. Yay. Yay. So I think that might be a good place I, to end I, on. <laughs> I think it might be indeed. Though this has been uh or when we started, it's like, so what are we going to talk about? Yeah, quite. <laughs> There's no lack. Oh, boy. And an hour and a half later, we've gone around in many loops, but we've come yes. to a good place, uh, which yes. feels good. So let so, us, yeah. so let us yeah. stop.